This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. It wouldn't be summer without beach reads. If you need a recommendation for an audiobook to listen to while you relax in the sun, look no further. The Bookshop by the Bay by Pamela M. Kelly has it all. A woman starting over on Cape Cod, best friends taking over a beloved local bookstore, romance, characters that feel more like friends, and more. Another queen of the beach read and past guest of the podcast, Mary Kay Andrews, says anyone who's ever wanted to turn the page on their old life or felt the whispered promise of a new dream and a fresh start will fall in love with Pamela Kelly's charming new novel. The audiobook is even read by Audi Award finalist for Best Female Narrator Stephanie Nemeth Parker. Start listening to The Bookshop by the Bay by USA Today best-selling author Pamela M. Kelly now, wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zaro-Papinski, and today I'm so happy to have Meg Mitchell-Moore here to chat about her new book, Summer Stage, a spirited summer page-turner following a family of actors grappling with fame, scandal, and ambition, perfect for fans of Ellen Hildebrand. Your beach bag will not be complete this summer without a copy. Meg Mitchell-Moore worked for several years as a journalist for a variety of publications before turning to fiction. She lives in the beautiful coastal town of Newburyport, Massachusetts with her husband and daughters. Summer Stage is her eighth novel. Meg and I also serve on the Newburyport Literary Festival Committee together where I've gotten to know her and she is just the best. So it's such a treat to have her on. Meg, thanks for being here and congrats on Summer Stage. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, well, I just loved getting swept away to Block Island and being a fly on the wall for the summer Shakespeare production. It was just a perfect summer read. I'm actually like mad at myself that I read it a couple months ago and I should have saved it for a vacation or something because it was just such a delight. So can you tell listeners just a little bit more about the premise of the book and the characters that we meet? Sure. And thank you. You were one of the first readers. So your enthusiasm for it, I really appreciated it because not that many people had read it at the time that you did. So I'm glad you <laughs> even if you wish that you would take it. I'll so, just have to reread it this summer by a pool or something. Also no shortage of other beach books out there. So I'm sure you can find another one if you want <laughs> So yes, it's set on Block Island, as you said, and it revolves around a summer production of Much Ado About Nothing. And there are three main points of view. One is this uh, actor, Timothy Fleming, who is 62 years old. And I've always thought of him as sort of a Jeff Daniels was kind of my, he doesn't have to look like Jeff Daniels, that age. And I think it's because I used To Kill a Mockingbird as as a play he had been in. But I just like that level of fame, recognizable and and very well known, but not like Tom Cruise, you know? So that's where I had, that's who I always thought of. And then, um, and then his sister, Amy is one of the other points of view and she lives just across the water from Block Island in Narragansett. And she is a former aspiring playwright, now high school English teacher. And uh, Amy's daughter, Sam, who is 19 is the other point of view. And she is a former child actor slash TikTok famous person who uh, is escaping from a little bit of a scandal and has come home for the summer and they all uh, end up working on this this play together. I loved the way their stories connected to each other. I, it's one of those books where sometimes I'm I'm more drawn to just one of the perspectives and like okay let's get to that next 
next chapter when I get back to that other character. But this time I just, I loved each of their voices and points of view. And it was so fun to be on Black Island. I actually, I spent a, a decent amount of time there as a kid. We would take the ferry sometimes because I lived near Rhode Island, but I haven't been back as an adult and it just made me really want to go. But I thought it was really fun to kind of see these different like generations too. And that's one of the things I like about your books, partly because I sort of like getting a preview of what it's like dealing with teenagers as a parent. (laughs) (laughs) And um, my kids are much younger, but I I always love the way you write sort of mother-daughter relationships and just the, the teenage perspective. So I wonder if that's maybe like a theme you come back to a lot, maybe like writing teens and their families or mothers and daughters. Is that something, I know it's something in your life. Is that something you're kind of really drawn to writing about right now? Yeah, I think I can't escape it right now. I'm just surrounded by teenage girls all the time. I have three. Well, actually, one is no longer a teen. She's 20 now, but I am surrounded by high school and college age people. And I just find them so interesting and enjoyable. And I think when I had younger kids, I thought that the teenage years would be scary. And they certainly are in some ways. But, um, you know, there's a lot of things you have to watch out for and be aware of. But I think I thought that the actual teen people would be scarier, but they're wonderful. And they're so, you know, I love all the girls' friends and the girls are great. And they're, they, you watch them develop their senses of humor and their find their place in the world. And I'm sort of endlessly, probably way too fascinated by high school dynamics. I think it's really <laughs> interesting. Um, my girls would tell you I'm probably a little too interested, but I, I do really love watching friendships develop and relationships. And I'm, I'm so interested in it. So right now I'm writing about that. I don't know if as my girls get older, if I, if I will be less aware of it. Um, when my girls were younger, I guess my characters were younger, but I did have teen characters when my girls were younger. And now I wonder if I would write those differently because I just see it a little bit differently now. Yeah, that's interesting. And do your teens or their friends ever worry that they are going to make it into a book or they're not really even really aware of like what you're writing or that interested? They're not, my girls are not super interested. One of them has read a couple books. I don't think the other two have read any, but what's funny is that now their friends are sometimes starting to read them. And, um, and that's, what's funny. My book, um, three years ago uh, called two truths and a lie. My 2020 novel took place in this town where I live in Newburyport and had a lot of teen characters. I did not, um, you know, they weren't based on anybody, but, um, but a lot of their friends, have read that book and people in that age group and they all had really positive responses. So that was wonderful to see. I don't know if that, it has not yet made my kids want to read more, but it hasn't made them <laughs> complained yet. I guess I'll put it that way. That's so funny. And I, I just have an interesting experience with two truths and a lie because I think I've told you this as, as my family and I were looking to move somewhere in this general area, we live near Newburyport now. I, of course, searched the library catalog of like, okay, what are books that take place on the North Shore? What can I be reading as we're like house hunting and thinking about these different towns? And of course, Two Truths and a Lie came up. So I read this wonderful book set in Newburyport and it was just fun to be kind of immersed in that setting while we were looking for where we were going to live in the area. And then oh, that's getting so to funny. meet you was, yeah, getting to meet you was very fun. But like, of course, you got to be reading books set where you might move. So right, exactly. Oh, that's very funny. Yeah. I love that book though. Highly recommend two truths to the lie for, for summer reading as well. Um, 
Yeah. Well, I did really love the acting side of things and kind of the Shakespeare play. Of course, I always, I just think it's fun to read about um, movie stars as well. So I wondered kind of where that piece of it came for you. And if you had to do any like fun research about like the theater world or Hollywood. I did. It was, it was, I'm very lucky to have a few people who know those worlds pretty well. So I, when I started the book, actually it didn't, at first it did not have, at first it was nothing like the book that it is now, but I started writing about block. I I knew I wanted to set a book, another book on block Island. I have a 2019 novel called the Islanders set there. And I started writing about the same characters and visiting them, you know, three years later or four years later. And I wrote a few chapters and my editor said, I I think we've probably had enough of these characters. We don't really need another (sighs) book of them. And I was like, oh, darn it. I had this whole book planned. And and then she said, but I love that you're going back to Block Island. And then I had all often in the back of my mind, I had tucked away. I, I thought I would always like to write about summer theater. So I said, oh, I've always wanted to write about summer theater. And she said, oh, do that. Put that on Block Island. And then we have a new, and you can use some of those former characters, but they're not the main characters. So that's what I ended up doing. Um, so I am very fortunate that one of my best friends um, is a casting director and her husband is an actor. So they helped me with all of the acted, all of the theater things. And then one of my other best friends is in the film business and works on TV shows. She's an assistant director. So she helped me with that side of things. And she had a couple of connections for me. There was a, an assistant to a, um, to a celebrity who talked to me a little bit about her job and uh, um, a couple other quick questions I had. My, my friend was able to hook me up with somebody to answer them. And then both of them gave the book a very careful read after uh, after the first one or two drafts and corrected my many mistakes about the world. So it was really fun to get to know it because I don't know that much. You know, I, I really only know theater as an audience member. So it was really fun to learn a little bit more about it. That's so fun. And yeah, I wouldn't necessarily think about, yeah, having to maybe like interview people about these specific roles or or things like that. That's kind of a fun, a fun side of crafting a book like this. And with the Black Island setting, I know you've already um, set a book there. Did you have to go back and kind of refresh your like sensory details and or did you talk to people that live there year round? Because that's kind of a perspective in the book, too. Right. I did do a little, we were there, we went last summer just for one or two nights, I think. And I remember I was, I was finishing up probably the second draft at that point, but I did have a list of things. Oh, I need to see this place again. I need to see what this looks like. And I, we went around and did a little, a little trip because I, I was doing a lot of it from memory. I use Google Earth a lot when I'm, especially on that island, when I'm looking at where could you see the water from and where would this house be? And so I, I do a lot of that, but I had to kind of go double check and we went on a big bike ride around every and checked out everything and made sure that it made sense. I'm actually needing to do that again right now because my next book is also on Block Island. Um, oh. It kicked me out of the island. I, oh, maybe I'll write a couple more. <laughs> And this time I, I have another list again. You know, I have a, a hike that somebody goes on, but I haven't done that hike. So I need to go do that hike so I can make sure I get the details right. So um, I don't remember if I talked to anybody specifically on the island for for summer stage. For sure I have for the, for the book I'm working on because I had some really specific questions about land development and things like that. So um, I'm always happy to, you know, twist my arm and I'll go back to Block Island and do a little research. <laughs> 
It's it's fun that you always pick these great locations. Do you feel like you need to like spend time just drafting in the location or do you um or can you just go work somewhere else and, and call up the research and everything in your mind? In an ideal world, I would like to be working in the location, but logistically and life-wise, that's not often possible. So yeah, it would be great. Right now, I really wish, um, for the again, for the book I'm working on, I really wish I had a week on Block Island to really immerse myself, but I don't. So I'll just do, I'll just do what I can from memory and, and fill in the details later. I'll actually be going there later in the summer for a book event. So I'll, um, I'll try to I'll try to see what I haven't seen or, or what I've misremembered and check it out. But yes, ideally, I think it would be wonderful to write the book in the place where it's at. So you're kind of entering a period of book promotion now. And I know you're sort of on a pretty quick, like a summer reading book pace now. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of what your writing year looks like in order to be getting these books out in the summer and like is it more you're kind of like drafting in the winter and editing in the spring or kind of what's all that like I'll tell you the ideal version and then I'll tell you how this year went which was not ideal. <laughs> so it's a combination so ideally I would start a book in September you know after when the school year starts would be kind of the starting point and I would be drafting it all the way through that year until maybe March have a good draft, um, get an edit sometime in April, do a second draft, and then over the summer be more into the line edits and copy editing phase, and then be ready to start again in September. So that would be good. Um, this year I ended up having an editor change, no fault of anybody, not me and not my former editor, because she's wonderful and we had a great relationship, but they had to change some things at the publishing house and give me a new editor who was also wonderful, but everything that all took a little while and then it took a while for her to, um, you know, approve my next idea. And I didn't get started until I'd say late November on that draft. And that was very uncomfortable and I don't want to do that again. So that, mm. that draft I did write probably from late November until, I mean, I just turned it in a couple of weeks ago until May and that felt too tight and I wish I had more time. And I know that it needs a big edit because I, I didn't have the time I wish I had. So that, that was a little different. I think we'll still be able to make it work if I can do a really good edit over the summer. But I've also had it happen where um, we've held a book back for a year because it needed more editing time. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, but yes, ideal world, I would start in September, be pretty solid in the summer, and then start again in September. I'm interested too, because you have kind of talked about sort of going back and forth on ideas with your agent and editor. And a lot of times we sort of talk about there's journeys in terms of like getting the agent and editor, but I'm also really interested in once you have them and they're sort of in your, you know, in your corner, as you're tossing around ideas for what you want your next book to be, are you kind of working with your agent first? And then once you've really, you think you've got something, then you move to the editor, or are you in conversation with both of them? How does that like preliminary stage work? I, I'm sure it's different for everybody. I always have something approved or I'm comfortable with an idea that I've talked about with my agent before we present to my editor. So um, I, I've had the same agent the whole my whole career. I have not had the same editor. I've had to change a few different times for different reasons. And I've had a lot of great editors, but I, I'm not somebody who's been with the same one the whole time. So it's a little different with every editor. But my agent, I have a complete 
complete trust in and we have a good working relationship. So usually relationship. So usually we will talk about an idea and she'll, she'll say, okay, I think this is ready to send on. Let's send it on and see what the editor thinks. So that's typically how it works. There's, but there's also the business side of it. That's sort of the creative side, but there's also the, you know, when you're signing a new book deal versus when you're working on a book deal that's already established, I tend to have two book deals at a time. So, so, um, I, the, the book I just turned into my editor is part of a brand new, fresh two book deal. So for that, we had to get very clear approval and an offer and accept the offer and do all the business side of it before I began writing. So that, that takes a little while too. So it, it, but now that we are in the middle of that two book deal, my next book, she will approve the idea, but we won't have to do that waiting because it's already part of it. It's already part of the deal, if that makes sense. That's so interesting and that those deals are coming before those books are written, but it's because you, they already know your style and your books and they, they know, they know they're going to want it once they know they like the idea. That's interesting. Hopefully. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. I don't do it that way. I've heard many people say I would never take money for a book before I've written it or, you know, people do it different ways. I personally like, I really like the pressure of it. I think I work better under pressure. So I like knowing, I like knowing that somebody's going to read it no matter what. So even when I'm struggling, I think, okay, but I know they're going to publish it and we'll get it in shape and it will be okay. But if I didn't have that certainty, I think it would be really hard to write that first draft, but there are plenty of writers who do it the other way and maybe, you know, get bigger deals out of it or are more comfortable in the writing. So is, there are certainly different ways to go about it. Yeah. It's always interesting to hear the different kind of paths. And, it is, and there's your... also, Oh, sorry. Back to the, oh, no, you go. there's also a lot of things I didn't know at the time, which is, you know, a book deal is divided into probably sometimes three, sometimes four parts. So you get some money when you sign it, you get some money when you turn in a draft, you get some money when it's published. Sometimes you don't get that last chunk until a year later. So I'm also looking at it from an economic perspective where, well, we have, you know, a family we're running here and we have my income and my husband's income and how much are we expecting to make each year? So for me, some of those decisions don't have anything to do with their creative side. They have to do with, this is my only paying job. So I have to think about that. Right. too. That makes a lot of sense because you're talking about working well under the pressure and everything, what is your way of kind of mapping out that you're going to get to where you're going to need to be? Like, even in terms of like, are you drafting the whole, the way, the whole way through before you start revising? Like one of the things I struggle with is, you know, trying to hit certain work counts, but then I start revising and I just keep going backwards. So like, Mm -hmm. um, I guess just like a system of like keeping yourself on track and keeping yourself accountable. Yeah. I always get a first draft down before I go back and they are very bad first drafts. I mean, they are really horrific and messy and I wouldn't show them to anybody, but I find that I work best just moving forward and keeping my momentum. So I typically do some very rudimentary math, you know, at the beginning, if I know my draft is probably going to be about a hundred thousand words and how many months do I have? And I'll calculate. It's usually about 1200 to 1500 words per working day I should write. And I think, Oh, I'll be done early if I do that. And then things always happen as you know. So if somebody gets sick or, you know, you have to go away or whatever. So I, I have this ideal word count. I will do uh, systematically throughout the year. And I usually end up revising that word count. (laughs) 
I, re I redo that math several times throughout the year because I realize <laughs> I'm really behind. But I start that way, and um, and I kind of basically keep to it until I have a draft, and then I go back and I cut out a lot, and I'll think, oh, I had a hundred thousand words, but I'll realize that twenty thousand of them were terrible, and now I only have an eighty thousand word draft I'm working with, and then I have to <laughs> fill in a lot. So it's not it's not a perfect system, but um it seems to be what works for me. I think I would get way too caught up if I went back and revised the danger in that. Yeah, it can, it can be very dangerous. Well, you also, I feel like, make a lot of time to be just a very good sort of literary citizen. I know you put a lot of time into the book festival, and I just feel like are a just very active in sort of the book community and like supporting other authors. And I'm wondering how you structure your time in that way. Like, I'm sure it can be difficult to, you know, you're so you're on a deadline, you're so wrapped up in your own book, but you also have kind of other commitments in the book world. Do you kind of tell yourself, all right, I'm only going to do some of that stuff like at the afternoon or at night or like, how do you juggle that? Yeah, thank you for saying that because I don't always feel like I'm a good literary citizen because there's so, I see so many people doing so much more and I don't know how they get to all of it. So um, I appreciate it. And you know, uh, obviously, because we did it together, how much work goes into the literary festival. It's a ton during those months. So I try to get my word count done first and leave everything else in my life. And, you know, whether it's literary or family wise to the later part of the day, I'm just way more productive in the morning. I'm not a night person. I, I never work at night. I, I can't do it. I would have to be under extreme deadline pressure to try to do anything at night and it wouldn't be good. So basically after dinner, I'm not doing, I might do a little social media, but I'm not doing any real work. So I try to do the word count first and then do the rest of my day later. And it doesn't always work out that way, but that's my ideal situation. That's a good system. And I think you are a very good literary citizen. Yeah, well, thank um, you. Well, you know, I'm, I'm amazed by how many books. I mean, you get through way more books than I do per year. And your kids are really young. Um, and I don't know. I, I just am astonished when I look at some of what I see on Instagram about how much people read. And I feel like I read a good amount, but like nothing compared to what a lot of people out there are reading. Well, I need to be, get, be writing more than I'm reading. That's my problem. And your kids will one day be all the time in school and you will have way more time than you can imagine. Yes, we are just a few months away from full day school. So that is very uh, exciting. Huge difference to you. Huge difference. Yes. Well, you know, I would like to hear too about, we were just talking about kind of making time for reading. I'd love to hear what you've been reading lately. Sure. I think all of them actually are literary festival books that the last few books I loved, I read, I have some questions for you by Rebecca Mackay, who, as you know, we had on our virtual version of the literary festival and it was fabulous. And I'm just in awe of her. So now on audio, I'm listening to The Great Believers, which somehow I had never read before. Have you read the great oh, Believers. I love The Great Believers. Yeah, oh, such a good book. Good. Um, I'm just astonished. I'm astonished by her. So that's the last, uh, well, that's one of the last things I've read. And I also recently finished Saturday Night at the Lakeside Supper Club by J. Ryan Stradall, who we also had at the Literary Festival online. And I'm a huge fan of his. I, I have been from the beginning since he published Kitchens of the Great Midwest um, years ago. So I just finished that. And then I just also finished Pineapple Street by Jenny Jackson, who we had in oh. person at the Literary Festival. And it was delightful. Um, so I'm, and I've got another stack of books that I bought there that I still have to get. To. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's it's great for the reading life. We I um had suggested Pineapple Street for uh, book club, my book club, and we ended up reading it and had a really fun discussion a few weeks ago. So that was great, especially after just attending her session. But yeah, that is a fun part of the book festival. Just my TBR list ends up a mile long, and I should say too for anybody listening who isn't local to the area or is just intrigued about the book festival. So many of the um, sessions are recorded and online. So I'll definitely link to those if people want to uh, go back and watch any sessions like that. Rebecca Mackay session should be up. And um, I thought that in particular was just um, phenomenal. I, I oh, love so hearing her speak. I could have listened to her all day long. She's just wonderful. So brilliant. Yeah. I really liked that one. So I liked everything, yeah. but that's the point I have not, so are the videos up online? I, I should be publicizing that myself. I think they are. I'll have to check too, but um, I would imagine they are now. by now. And I know past years are. So um, it is a little, I, I feel like I need to make time too to go back and watch sessions that maybe I haven't seen from past years because it is always fun to watch. Well, I wanted to hear too, I know we talked a little bit about kind of floating around different ideas and things like that. And um, I was thinking recently about the books that have to be written maybe before the books that are published. And I can't remember if I've asked you this before, but do you have any books in a drawer or maybe like even a a book that is now published, but like you were really close to giving up on or not writing at all? I have some very bad starts somewhere. I don't even know, probably three computers ago or four computers ago, some terrible starts. And I'm sure if I could could search my email back, you know, 12 years or something, I would see some really embarrassing um, queries I had sent to agents about books that I never finished. But I'm also, I'm pretty dogged and not giving up on things. I probably, sh- I probably should sometimes give up. But my, my <laughs> first novel, um, which was published in 2011, so that was a long time ago, it's called The Arrivals. I, it's very different from, it, it almost counts as there's a bad book in, in a drawer because there's so many earlier versions of that book. But I just, I'm not great at giving up. So I just kept kept going until I could make it a book. Um so yeah, so that's my answer. So I don't have a complete book anywhere, but I have a lot of false starts somewhere. Is there a, a period in your writing career that you felt like was the most difficult for you? Oh, that's a great question. I love that question. I the beginning for sure, tr- trying to get that first, trying to get an agent for that first book was was the most difficult, and the time I almost gave up. Um, so after that, it has been certainly easier, but not easy. And I had to find a new editor a couple different times for for various reasons. And my first publisher that published my first two books did not want my next book after that. And that was probably the next hardest because I had to start from scratch and I didn't have a book that was good enough to go out presenting to new potential publishers. And so I ended up writing a different book. And, and Oh, and then I did go back to that book. So I guess that counts, sort of. Um, I did I did put away a book and, and go back and that became my my fourth novel, The Captain's Daughter. But um, I'd, say the, I'd say the very beginning and then trying to find a new publisher after publishing two when the second one had not sold well at all and still has not. I don't, I don't feel like anybody has read my second novel, um, which is fine. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the numbers weren't great and it's really hard to come back from that. So 
so um, I'd say those those were the two toughest times. But there's always something that's harder harder than you expect. And, and then you forget how hard those hard things were. And then you start to complain about things that you shouldn't complain about. And then you realize, <laughs> oh, this is not anything I should complain about. So I try to be aware of all of those things when I'm complaining about having a draft due or something, um, because everything is relative. Yeah, I think that's good perspective. I guess just lastly, sort of along with that, if you could maybe tell your sort of newbie uh, novel writing self, any piece of advice, what would you uh, tell them? I think I would say do it earlier, do it sooner. Um, it took me a little while to admit that I wanted to write fiction. Uh, and after that, it obviously took a while to just get going. And by then I had three small kids and it was harder to find the time. So kind of wish I had pushed through a little bit earlier. Um but then I would also tell myself, keep going and it's going to happen. So don't worry so much. I spent a lot of time worrying that it wouldn't happen. And that's just mm. wasted waste time. And it's really hard to tell anybody that, you know, it's, I wouldn't have believed it if anybody had told me, but in retrospect, I didn't need, I, you know, that was wasted energy. You can put your energy somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Put it into the book, I guess, not in the, exactly. in the yeah. worrying. It's, a, it's probably good advice. Um, well, I just so enjoy getting to chat with you and I loved Summer Stage. I think listeners are really going to want to pick this one up for any vacations or just time outside reading this summer. It would be the perfect companion. And um, just thank you for coming on and chatting and best of luck with all the promotion and with uh, starting up writing the next novel. Thank you. And I always love talking to you. So I so appreciate that you invited me. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review whenever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.